Blog Talk Radio.
Greetings, this is Abayomi Azikawe, and welcome back to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine that's brought to you here on a weekly basis. Uh, I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. Today is uh, Sunday, uh, October the 16th, uh, 2022. Uh, we're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. We'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in uh, once again to yet another edition uh, of our program. Uh, later on, we'll be bringing you our regular Pan-African Newswire report. We'll have dispatches on the recent development and security issues impacting Ethiopia and the Horn of Africa. The southern African state of Mozambique is still facing grave issues related to the rebel insurgency in the north of the country. The People's Republic of China has opened the 20th Congress of the Communist Party. We'll have details on that as well. And South Africa says the country is making progress in dealing with the energy crisis. In the second and third hours, we commemorate the 56th anniversary of the formation of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense in Oakland, California. We'll be reexamining questions of self-determination as well as uh, mass struggles. These and other features will be brought to you uh, during the course of our program. So stay tuned. Uh, we'll take a musical interlude, and uh, we'll be back with more of our program for this week.
October 16th, uh, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit, and that was the voice of Monsieur 30 singing uh, some of the uh, classic uh, popular and folk songs from Central and East Africa. Uh, she herself is from the Democratic Republic of Congo, and before that, we heard one track uh, from the Adiyewu International Band uh, from the West African state of Ghana. Right now, we want to move into our Pan-African Newswire segment, and our lead story uh, deals with the current uh, situation in Ethiopia. Ethiopian Cooperative Commission said not only is agriculture, which includes pastoralists, uh, vital in speeding up economic changes, but it is also instrumental in benefiting the livelihoods of the citizens. The Federal Democratic Republic of Ethiopian Cooperative Commission, in collaboration with the Ministry of Agriculture, and Ministry of Irrigation and Lowlands officially launched the establishment of Ethiopian Pastoralist Development Forum aims uh, at benefiting the pastoralists and the country uh, by unlocking the potential of the sector. Uh, speaking at the occasion, 
Minister of Agriculture Omar Hussein said that currently the world economy is seriously challenged by different problems ranging from COVID-19 pandemic uh, to the conflict, climate change, and other uh, issues. And many countries are still depending on importing food items and have been facing severe challenges. As to him, leadership, coordination, technical support, and financial affordability of stakeholders are crucial for bringing desired change. ECC Commissioner Friliam Shababal uh, said, uh, quote, the pastoralist sector has been facing severe challenges, which will both affect the livelihoods of the pastoralists and economy of the country. Accordingly, the commission, in collaboration with the concerning stakeholders, has held discussions to avoid challenges and benefit both pastoralists and the country, unquote. As the government is aggressively working in agriculture, especially in wheat irrigation systems for the sector, has an abundant potential to drive the economy. Meaningful change will be brought about, she added. The Minister of Irrigation and Lowlands, Aisha Mohammed, said that due to lack of necessary support and low attention given to the pastoral sector, the sector is not contributing what is expected of it. Following the homegrown economic reform, the sector has given due attention in order to exploit the potential of the pastoralist sector and contribute its part to the development of the country. She stated, even if the sector is given attention, still much effort remains to fully exploit its potential, she noted. In other news uh, from uh, the Horn of Africa state of Ethiopia, things stand at the moment. The region of the Horn of Africa is turning out to be a hotbed of terrorist groups, extremism, militarization, and other wicked deeds that can, in the shortest possible time, move the entire region into uncharted waters. Apart from posing an imminent threat in the territory, the ill-minded terrorist groups have been making a supreme effort to dismantle the Horn of Africa and accomplish their hidden motives, notwithstanding the fact that the groups know the fact that they cannot make their hidden agenda become a reality by any means whatsoever as a consequence of the concerted efforts of the member states. They have been pulling out all the stops to pull uh, to pieces this strategic region as the criminal syndicates have been housing themselves under the Horn of Africa skies, they spare no effort to turn the region into pandemonium. As the criminal organizations have been working with a broad range of criminal groups for their nefarious mission, they sustain coming up with layers of plots more than ever before. In the present climate, on the heels of actions against the law of the terrorist groups in the Horn of Africa, Member countries have been confronting pressure in the face of their own internal difficulties that need a quick fix and a band-aid solution. The aforementioned circumstance on the ground in black and white demonstrates the need to foster regional security cooperation. For the sake of truth, unless the entire Horn region member states work in close collaboration to thwart the increasing imminent threat posed by terrorist groups, leading a peaceful life would not be a walk in the park or low-hanging fruit. Above and beyond, as the group feel like a chicken with its head cut off, in the absence of conflict, they have been leaving no stone unturned to break apart strategic places and accomplish the vested interests of their paymasters. Ethiopia, for instance, is fighting unholy alliances of the criminal syndicates among a wide spectrum of terrorist groups like the TPLF group, the OLF Shane, Al-Shabaab, and other criminal groups serving as the Trojan horse of the historic adversary of the Horn of Africa, the groups in a number of situations have been claiming the lives of non-combatants in the region.
And uh, in Mozambique, fleeing uh, beheadings, uh, shootings, rapes, and kidnappings, nearly one million people are displaced by the Islamic extremist insurgency in northern Mozambique. The five-year wave of jihadi violence in Cabo Delgado province has killed more than 4,000 people and scuppered international investments worth billions of dollars. In a sprawl of dilapidated tents and thatched huts around Nanjua, a small town in the southern part of Cabo Delgado province, several hundred families are seeking safety from the violence. They say their conditions are bleak and food assistance is meager, but they are afraid to return home because of the continuing violence by the rebels who are now going by the name of the Islamic State of the Mozambique province. More than 1,000 miles south, however, government officials in the capital of Maputo are saying the insurgency is under control and encouraging the displaced to return to their homes and energy companies to resume their projects. The terrorists are on the run permanently, and Mozambican President Felipe Nausi assured investors at the Mozambique Energy and Gas Summit uh, just last month in Maputo, the capital. He urged the gatherings of international energy executives to resume work on their tall, liquefied natural gas projects. And you can read these articles in their entirety over the Pan-African Newswire, and you're listening to the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. In other news, uh, in Asia, the 20th Congress of the Communist Party of China has opened at the Great Hall of the People in Beijing. At the important 20th National Congress of the Communist Party of China, which opened uh, Sunday, uh, Xi Jinping said that the great transformation over the past decade of the new era marks a milestone in the history of the Chinese, the Communist Party of China, of the People's Republic of China, of reform and opening up of the development of socialism and of the development of the Chinese nation. Analysts stressed that the great achievements in the past decade would have been impossible without the strong leadership of the Communist Party of China's Central Committee, with Xi at the core. The great mobilization potential of China's system and the people who embrace the party's leadership and support the party's policies wholeheartedly. The past decade marked three major events. We embraced the centenary of the Communist Party of China, ushering in a new era of socialism with Chinese characteristics, and eradicated absolute poverty finished building a moderately prosperous society in all respects. Thus completing the first centenary goal, she said when delivering a report to the party Congress on behalf of the 19th Communist Party of China Central Committee, according to the Xinhua News Agency. Three events are of great immediate importance and profound historical significance for the cause of the party and the people, said Xi. Under the leadership of the party central committee, the entire party, the military, and the Chinese people were brought together to carry out a great struggle with many new features of the times, he said, when hailing the historic achievements. Xi noted the achievements in the decade. We have established the thought on socialism with Chinese characteristics for a new era and achieved a new breakthrough in adapting Marxism to the Chinese context and needs of our times. We have strengthened party leadership in all respects, achieved a moderate prosperity, and resolved the problem of absolute poverty in China, put forward the Chinese dream of the great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation, and made constant progress in enriching and developing a new form of human advancement, she said. We have put forward and applied a new development philosophy, worked hard to promote 
to high-quality development and push to foster a new pattern of development, he said, citing the GDP increases from 54 trillion won in 2012 to 114 trillion won, about 16 trillion U.S. dollars in 2021, accounting for 18.5 percent of the world's economy. And uh, finally, uh, the situation in South Africa involving energy is still uh, having challenges. ESCOM, the national uh, energy supplier, says it will suspend stage two load shedding from midnight on Sunday, then implement it between 4 p.m. and midnight from Monday to Wednesday. The load shedding is required to help manage emergency generation reserves during the evening, the utility said in a statement. Since uh, yesterday afternoon, two generation units of the Brat Vlei as well as a unit each of the Kral and Majuba power stations were returned to service. And a generation unit at the Matabo power station was taken offline for repairs, explained the utility. This is ESCOM suspended and load shedding altogether at the start of the weekend, only to announce the return of Stage 2 uh, yesterday afternoon. The power utility said it will update the country on Wednesday or as soon as any further significant changes occur. With that, we're going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. In concluding this segment of our program, we'd like to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998, and since then, has published thousands upon thousands of articles and dispatches in numerous newspapers magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to our website, uh, just go uh, to panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And uh, also, uh, if you'd like to have access to today's Pan-African Journal, this special worldwide radio broadcast for Sunday, October 16, 2022. Just go to our website at the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. Not only can you have access to today's program for uh, Sunday, October 16, uh, 2022, but well over 1,100 other archived editions of the Pan-African Journal. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more of our program for this week. Oh, the night. 
Welcome back, and uh, that was uh, the music of uh, the Black Panther Party, uh, Lane Brown, from the album entitled uh, Seize the Time, and that was um, one time. And uh, this uh, week represents the 56th anniversary of the founding of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense in uh, Oakland, California, in the Bay Area. And uh, we're going to go back and listen uh, to some rare archival audio files uh, this one is from uh, May of 1968, uh, one year after the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense burst onto the scene nationally, and that was the uh, march on the state capitol in Sacramento on May 2nd of 1967 uh, to protest the Malford Act, uh, which uh, would outlaw the carrying of weapons uh, in the aftermath of uh, the rebellions in the African-American communities across um, not only uh, the West Coast, but uh, throughout the entire United States, and also uh, the founding of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense uh, several months earlier. Let's listen uh, to uh, interviews uh, with uh, Bobby Seale, the then chairman of the Black Panther Party, and uh, Kathleen Cleaver, uh, who was a communications secretary and central committee member of the Black Panther Party. It's uh, 9.15 at the Alameda County Courthouse. The uh, Alameda County Courthouse looks more like a fort this morning than a courthouse. There seem to be policemen at every opening. And uh, there's a class of high school students that wanted to get in to observe the proceedings that were going on upstairs. And they were told by the policemen to get away from the door in very abrupt terms. Uh, no one seems to be very friendly around here this morning. It's uh, about 10.15. We're at the Fremery Park in Oakland. Bobby Seal hasn't arrived yet from the county courthouse, but we expect him uh, in a few minutes, and uh, then there should be a short rally, after which everyone will get on the buses and be off. Uh, apparently, I'm going to be able to ride on one of the buses. A young panther named William Wesley came with me in the car from the Alameda County Courthouse. 
And he, along the way, he pointed out quite a number of the unsightly scars that are West Oakland as, as we came to the Fremery, as we walked around the park for a while after we got here. And uh, I was put into a mood that that made me very aware of why the Panthers have come into existence. Just seeing all the cracked and drying wood and rotten houses. Here's Bobby now. So apparently everyone's here that's going to be here. About a hundred people all together, I guess. It's 10.40. Seal is now being reviewed. serve black people, and uh, we understood then when Mulford, in conspiring with the police department, Oakland Police Department, were trying to get that law through, that uh, they were acting as racists, and why didn't they make a law 100 years ago when the Ku Klux Klan started murdering black people? Why didn't they make a law against the Birchites and the Minutemen, etc.? They had guns and were, in fact, murdering brutalizing and intimidating black people with guns. Uh, so the law was not the thing. We were pointing out that the law is racist. It's part of the racist system that, in fact, the law was made to oppress black people and not serve black people. As Huey P. Newton says, laws are made by mankind to serve mankind. Once they stop serving mankind, then they must be changed. Uh, is there a statement on the part of the Black Panther Party concerning the supposed confessions from members of yes, the party who were imprisoned. Uh, we have legal affidavits filed in the uh, federal suit that was filed by Charles R. Gary, our lawyer, and by the members who are suing the city of Oakland, Mayor Redding, J. Frank Koki of Alameda County District Attorney, Hines, and Chief Gaines of the Oakland Police Department. These legal affidavits have been filed to show and give validity to this fact that the police department did, in fact, use unconstitutional measures and brutality, such as pointing a gun at one brother's head and making him sign a statement that he did not see. This happened over and over. And any of those, all statements that have been made were made because of police harassment and intimidation with the confines of the jail. So we denounce those statements. We denounce them grossly. And it's primary a conspiracy on the part of the Oakland Police Department and the leadership of the government here, which has been trying to make sure that they try and destroy the Black Panther Party, both physically by murdering and brutalizing and publicly. Uh, I'm reading a telegram here, Western Union telegram from Jesse Unruh, Speaker of the Assembly, to Mr. Bob Seal, Chairman of the Black Panther Party of America. Sir, I am informed by the press that some of your membership will visit the state capitol on Thursday, May 2nd. Seats are available in the third floor gallery of the capitol building for visitors. Rules applicable to all of our visitors prohibit cameras or firearms. Sincerely, Jesse Amunru, Speaker of the Assembly. It's 11 o'clock and we're just uh, getting away from Oakland. <clears throat> we should be in Sacramento about 12.30. There's a camera team here from KQED. They're going to do an interview with Bobby here on the bus. They're working frantically trying to get their, their light meters to register properly and they get people put in the right place. We're just crossing the Sacramento River now and it's about 11.15.
seen many highway patrol cars today. They've been passing us. We've been passing them. Uh, there's one in front of us now who seems to be slowing down as if to sort of keep pace with us. He's watching us as we go by to see uh, to see what's going on on the bus, I suppose. There was a photographer standing up at the front of the bus taking pictures of uh, Kathleen and Bobby being interviewed here, and the bus driver warned him to sit down because the highway patrol do seem to be watching us. The highway patrolman has now circled us twice and seems to come by and very intently in his rearview mirror as he goes by us. Bobby apparently is so exhausted that <clears throat> during the interview that uh, KQED was getting with Kathleen, who was sitting in the seat next to him, he was uh, sound asleep. It's 12.15 and we're coming to, to the outskirts of Sacramento. There's a car that's been pacing us with a large sign in the rear window which says Free Eldridge Cleaver. He uh, seems to buzz us, go around us, drop back, and come up again, uh, sort of uh, dancing with the uh, CHP. Just as we crossed the bridge into Sacramento, we passed a parked police car that was uh, sitting behind a shed out of sight. Had four policemen in it, and they watched us very intently as we went by. I would say, from the looks of things, that uh, they're prepared for just about anything today. Now going down towards the state capitol building. As we are getting off the bus here, there are quite a few police in the area. There's a car right next to us with four policemen in it. There are several around the bus with walkie-talkies. Everybody's being watched very closely. There are also a number of newsmen in the area. There's Bobby walking towards the state uh, capitol building. There are no police in evidence now as we walk towards the building. Kathleen and Bobby are leading the way. They've been followed by a whole host of newsmen, plus other people who came along on the bus trip. Uh, with respect to last year, a year ago when U.E.P. Newton ordered the delegation here to read a message to the black world concerning the racist uh, activities of the legislature, that same particular message that was read a year ago, I'll state it now. Some of you have copies. Statement by the Minister of Defense. Black Panther Party self-defense calls upon the American people in general, and the black people in particular, to take careful note of the racist California legislature, which is now considering legislature, that was one year ago, aimed at keeping the black people disarmed and powerless at the very same time that racist police agencies throughout the country are intensifying the terror, brutality, murder, and repression of black people. At the same time as the American government is waging a racist war of genocide in Vietnam, the concentration camps in which the Japanese Americans are in turn during World War II are being re-innovated and expanded. Since America has historically reserved the most barbaric treatment for non-white people, we are forced to conclude that these concentration camps are being prepared for black people who are determined to gain their freedom by any means necessary. The enslavement of black people from the very beginning of this country, the genocide practice on the American Indians, the confining, confining of the survivors of the reservations, the savage lynching of thousands of black men and women, the dropping of atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, 
and on the cowardly and the cowardly massacre in Vietnam all testify to the fact that towards people of color the racist power structure of America has but one policy repression genocide terror and the big stick black people have begged prayed petitioned demonstrated everything else to get the racist power structure of America to right the wrongs which have historically been perpetuated against black people. All of these efforts have been answered by more repression, deceit, and hypocrisy. As the aggression of the racist American government escalates in Vietnam, police agencies of America escalate their repression against black people throughout the ghettos of America. Vicious police dogs, cattle prods, and increased patrols have been familiar sights in the black community. City Hall turns a deaf ear to the pleas of black people for release from this increasing terror. The Black Panther Party for Self-Defense believes the pending Mulford Acts one year ago brings the hour of doom one step nearer. A people who have suffered so much for so long at the hands of a racist society must draw the line somewhere. We believe that the black communities of America must rise up as one man to halt the progression of a trend inevitably to their total destruction. That was a statement one year ago that I read here. It was delivered by our Minister of Defense, Huey P. Newton. He's been asked if he's running for the assembly. The people organized that the American people in general will take time to listen and stop allowing themselves to be duped by what's been said in the press concerning the Black Panther Party, that they will begin to all understand the need to change the system, the very system that they live in, the very system that he, we have lived under in repression in this country for hundreds of years. It's necessary that we change it. I am saying that this is a seat of government, but I'm saying those in there and what they're doing is what has to be changed. Are you saying that you can change it with the vote now instead of with the guns? We're saying, like Malcolm X said, the ballot of the bullets. Why didn't you bring the guns up today like you did a year ago? What's the necessity of the guns? You know we represent guns and self-defense of black people in the black community. What influence do you think you can have here today? What influence that we have here today is going to be based primarily on the fact that the Black Panther Party has not been destroyed by the conspiracy of the racist power structure, Oakland, San Francisco police departments, the chief, the mayor, and Regan too, which we feel he's all in it too. There is a one o'clock meeting with delegates of the Peace and Freedom Party to discuss Eldridge's parole. We're at State Office Building Number One, which houses the State Parole Bureau for the uh, California Adult Authority. There are members of the Black Panther Party and the Peace and Freedom Party, and a former inmate of San Quentin to the California Adult Authority concerning parole. The first point is that we demand the reinstatement of Eldridge Cleaver's parole immediately. That the way in which his parole was violated has been highly and totally irregular. At 3, around 2 a.m. in the morning, when he was in Highland Hospital in the emergency room, policemen came in and told him, you're on your way back to San Quentin, you're on your way back home. This is before any members of the Adult Authority had a chance to meet, before any action or any investigation could have been taken to file charges. He was perfunctorily booked at... Oakland City Jail, taken to San Quentin about 4.30 in the morning, and then taken 
to Vacaville, California, at which time there had yet been any charges filed against him. He was held a prisoner of the state of California in four different places, Highland Hospital, Vacaville, San Quentin, and the Oakland City Jail without his parole having been officially violated. Following that, he was held in solitary confinement at Vacaville, where he was sent for medical treatment, then removed to the hospital, held under maximum security, not allowed any typewriter, any literature, any communication with the outside world, except uh, immediate visits from immediate family and his lawyer, which they also attempt to interfere with. Every time I visit him, I'm made to wait 45 minutes to an hour. His attorneys are asked to leave. We tried to send some private physicians to, in, to check his condition out. The permission has been denied. Press that would like to interview him have had permission denied. His employer, Ramparts Magazine, has been prohibited from even mailing him copies of his own writings in the magazine. His publisher, McGraw-Hill, has been prohibited from receiving manuscripts from him. There is a total and absolute attempt on the part of the state adult authority to silence Eldridge Cleaver, who is a writer and a political prisoner in the state of California, and to deny him communication with the outside world. A vicious move, we feel, of political repression. The Peace and Freedom Party and the Black Panther Party in Alameda County, in San Francisco, and in Sacramento have coordinated a move to deal with this particular situation that I think Mr. Glazer could tell you something about. All right. What's your first name? Leonard Glazer. I'm the co-chairman of the Legal Defense Committee of the San Francisco Peace and Freedom Party. Are you attorney, Mr. Glazer? No, I'm not. I'm an ex-convict. I just come out of the state penitentiary at California Men's Colony, San Luis Obispo. The... Uh, Peace and Freedom Party is calling a conference of all of its attorneys in the state of California for the purpose of instituting a suit against the adult authority in the California Department of Corrections. We plan to challenge the adult authority not only in the name of Eldridge Cleaver, of course, but in the name of all similarly situated parolees and convicts. We plan to challenge the present procedure with regards to the revocation of par parole. We will demand the right of an attorney at hearings. We will demand written reasons for revocation of parole. We will demand that uh, all prisoners be allowed full access to all newspapers that are legally permitted to all other citizens. We will demand the end of censorship of mail to any attorneys, to any courts, and to any private individuals on the mailing list of the uh, convict. We will demand that parolees be permitted to stay in the county where new charges against them are pre presented, if such are, so that they have a better chance to defend themselves against such charges rather than being sent 80, 90 miles away to the state penitentiary, making it impossible for their attorneys to have immediate consultations with them in the, in the def uh, presentation of a defense against these new charges. We will demand the blatant demand an end to the blatant discrimination against black nationalists and radicals by the adult authority in terms of parole release and in terms of even what penitentiary such prisoners are sent to. 
As you can see, we charge that Eldridge Cleaver was sent to Vacaville for the sole purpose of getting him away from the Bay Area, away from the Black Panther organization, away from his wife, and away from his attorney. Now, the, in addition to the suit that we're going to institute on behalf of Mr. Cleaver and all other prisoners, we, are going, we promise the adult authority that we are going to picket every single penitentiary in the state of California, up and down the state, including the conservation camps. We demand that the adult authority immediately pay a full minimum wage to all convicts whatsoever. At present, there are convicts in the state penitentiary who work 40-hour weeks for $3 a week. There are convicts who work 40-hour weeks for nothing. I did for three years. So we can, we can promise the adult authority that there will be no peace with, with regards to either our efforts outside of the penitentiaries or the efforts of our people inside of the penitentiaries until Eldridge Cleaver is released and until immediate reforms are instituted to make life palatable for the convict and for the parolee. We demand that the legislature in, institute an immediate investigation of the, of the present activities of the adult authority and we demand the firing of all members of the adult authority and a constitution of a new adult authority. We demand that all parole revocations go before a, a judge rather than before the adult authority itself. The adult authority are nothing more than politicians elected for very short terms by, uh, appointed by, by the uh, governor for very short terms. They are completely in the pocket of the governor of the state of California, whoever he happens to be at the g given time. Thank you. Mr. Glazer, where are you from? San Francisco. And are you on parole now? No, I'm fully discharged. How do you spell your name? G-L-A-S-E-R. Why? To get me away from the San Francisco Bay Area. Possession of marijuana and revocation of parole, of uh, probation due to my activities at the University of California during the free speech movement. That's why I was sent away from San Francisco County. No, I lived in Berkeley. Lived there for some years. I, I'd like to say that the, the, the uh, adult authority is just simply notorious for dealing with any political prisoners that it has. Black Muslims, for example, are just shipped around from penitentiary to penitentiary solely to harass them. They're, they're put in isolation. They're, they're, they're uh, uh, constantly broken up. Their meetings are not allowed. It, being a black Muslim is considered an offense in the eyes of the adult authority, whether it is a formal charge or not. They always seem to wind up doing more time than, than the rest of the convicts for the similar crime. And generally speaking, all persons that have any politics, be it radical, be it black nationalist, are just simply persecuted by the uh, uh, local um, institution authorities and by the adult authority. I can document this, and we shall document this in the suit that we're going to bring against the adult authority. The adult authority works wholly as an agency to repress the political activities of the uh, convicts. Are you going to file that suit? It would probably be filed in either in San Francisco or in Sacramento. When? Uh, that's to be disclosed by the attorneys. Obviously, you know, we want to document the thing. We want it as soon as possible. Who are the attorneys? Have you decided yet? Well, uh, we, we can uh, name names. Harry will be, uh, who is uh, Mr. Cleaver's attorney, will be one. Alex Hoffman of Berkeley would be another. But we're going to have many, many more. We're holding a conference of all of the Peace and Freedom Party's lawyers in the state of California, and we have some hundreds. When will that be, the conference? Uh, the conference should be in early June what is your in case? San Francisco, 
at a, at a date and time to be disclosed. What is your connection with the Peace and Freedom Party? I'm the uh, co-chairman of the Legal Defense Committee in San Francisco County. As soon as I got out, I joined the Peace and Freedom Party. There's also a statement from Ms. McCleary concerning the Elder Sweeper okay. Defense Fund. Can you give us your yeah. full name first? Uh, Alex McCleary. Uh, I'm a member of the Peace and Freedom Party and of the Eldridge Cleaver Defense uh, Campaign. What we intend to do is uh, put light on this case, get information both nationally and internationally, um, so that uh, people around the world will see what the California Adult Authority uh, is doing here in violation of uh, many regulations uh, for Eldridge Cleaver, particularly. This particular case of the revocation of parole of Eldridge Cleaver is not highly unusual in terms of the activities of the California Adult Authority, which have been going on for generations in a very vicious and authoritarian manner without any means of control by the citizens and the people who pay the taxes and the salaries of the members of this board. It just so happens that since Eldridge Cleaver is the author of Soul and Ice, a uh, bestseller, uh, writer for Ramparts Magazine, a member of the steering, State Steering Committee of the Peace and Freedom Party, as well as the Minister of Information of the Black Panther Party, there's a tremendous amount of attention focused on his case, and therefore the activities of the California Adult Authority will be brought to light, not only in terms of him, but in terms of the entire operation of the Department of Corrections, and it will be brought under tremendous attack. I've just been told that uh, Bobby left the State Capitol building in a private automobile to come back to the Bay Area, that there were some plainclothes policemen very carefully noting his license number, and the type of car, and we're radioing the information on to other parties unknown. No doubt uh, Bobby was followed back to the Bay Area. I'm uh, sitting with Kathleen Cleaver. It's uh, 2.20. We're on our way back from Sacramento. And I'd like to ask her a few questions about what happened today, and what's been happening with the Panthers recently. First thing I'd like to ask you, Kathleen, is uh, concerns the telegram you got this morning from uh, Mr. Unruh, uh, I wonder if you have any comments uh, to make about that telegram. Well, I think that telegram reveals the accumulation of political power to the Black Panther Party since May 2nd. On May 2nd, 1967, the Black Panthers went to Sacramento with the intentions of making a statement to the black world concerning the legislature that Representative Mulford had introduced to change their gun laws. They were escorted mistakenly to the floor of the legislature instead of the visitors gallery by the press and asked to leave by the guards, which they did, harassed by the police who attempted to take their weapons and wanted to arrest them immediately, although they had no charges for they had broken no laws. So finally, as the Panthers on their way out of Sacramento, I uh, stopped at a gas station to uh, get some water in one of the cars. The, uh, nearly the entire police force of Sacramento vamped on them and arrested them on charges of the conspiracy to disrupt the legislature, at which point they were thrown in jail, most of the Panthers being put under $22,000 bail. The Cleaver, who was this party reporter, was, had a hole put on his parole and had his parole revoked. That's the reception in 1967 of a group of legally armed Black Panthers. In 1968, we received a telegram 
yesterday from the Speaker of the House, Jesse Unruh, informing us of the fact that the visitors' gallery is on the third floor and hours it would be open, and letting us know that no cameras nor firearms would be allowed. But you see, it's a very clear-cut form of recognition and acknowledgement of the Black Panther Party that uh, has taken place in the past year. That we have, we did not indicate, we did not ask Speaker Unruh for anything, but he felt it incumbent upon him to send us help. I think that's a recognition of our power. What, uh, briefly, if, if, you, if you feel like making it briefly, was the purpose of today's trip to Sacramento? Today's trip, the purpose of today's trip was uh, similar to the purpose of last year's trip to inform the public that the Black Panthers were here as a political party with particular objectives and point of view. This was never gotten across last year. What was gotten across was a tremendous smear campaign was initiated by the press against the Black Panther Party and a year of intense repression and systematic destruction of the leadership and the functioning of the Black Panther Party initiated May 2nd, 1967. The purpose of this trip was to inform the public that the Black Panthers are here to say we have not been destroyed, we have been strengthened, and we have every intent to prevent the political intimidation and harassment that we've been subjected to. We also had a new purpose, that is protesting and exposing the activities of the California Adult Authority in their violation of Eldridge Cleaver's parole quite illegally as a political act. At this point, we began an intense campaign against the activities of the Adult Authority in the form of uh, creating a group of lawyers who will take cases of inmates in various prisons against the Adult Authority and the Department of Corrections on their denial of uh, reading materials to the prisoners. Uh, the only kind of reading materials they allow are very pro-establishment type things such as Reader's Digest, Look, and um, other low-caliber type publications. Playboy, Esquire, Rampart, New Republic are all not allowed. We will be in touch with the publishers of these magazines through these lawyers and with the inmates to bring suits against this uh, denial of freedom of uh, receiving particular literature specifically on the basis of their refusal to allow these kinds of materials for Eldridge Cleaver, who is a writer and a staff writer for Ramparts Magazine, and it's very important that he receive these. But it's also important that other prisoners be allowed to read whatever literature they want, and that many of the restrictions and the censorship of incoming and outgoing mail and literature be removed in order to begin to break down some of the very corrosive barriers placed and the society outside. Uh, the press has apparently, you feel, led you astray in more ways than one. Last year they led you into the chambers. Um, and um, as I gather it, you, do, you don't feel that, by and large, press coverage of the Black Panther Party has been fair. Uh, what would you like to say about that? 
Well, in the first one, in the lack of fairness of the Black Panther Party, the lack of fairness in the press coverage of the Black Panther Party, the basis of the Black Panther Party is a 10-point program, which was drawn up by Bobby Seale and Huey Newton, printed in 1,000 copies and distributed throughout Oakland before any form of patrols or any form of organizational activity was initiated. This is the first step to draw up a platform to represent the basic political desires and needs of the black community and to organize to bring these, make these desires and needs into a reality. Point number seven on that program was that we want an immediate end to police brutality and murder of black people. Point number one on that program is that we want power to determine the destiny of our black communities. Point number 10 on that program was a summarization of many of the points stating that we want land, housing, bread, education, clothing, justice, and peace. Now, in all the reporting of the Black Panther Party in the entire year that has been, in, year and a half that has been in existence, I have yet to see, with the exception of about two weeks ago in the people's world, any reporting of this particular platform. In fact, we feel that the entire coverage of the Black Panther Party has been to create a very hostile and frightening image in the white press to just repression initiated against the party by the police department in the minds of the white citizens, which means, in fact, that the press is involved in manipulating the racist feelings in the public so that they will not feel outraged by the outrageous activities that the police are engaged in against the Black Panther Party. That's the first thing, denial of reporting concerning the program. And the second thing is that they reported the trip to Sacramento last year, which was a political act to make a political statement concerning the political activities of the state legislature in passing and changing the gun laws as an invasion of the state capital by a gang of thugs and hoodlums. They did not care to report that Huey Newton had an AA degree from Merritt College and was a law student at the University of San Francisco, that Bobby Seale had been in the U.S. Army, had, was a student at Merritt College, and was a highly qualified magnifux inspector, married and had a son. They did not go into presenting who the Black Panthers were or what they were about. What they went into was terrifying and intimidating the public by calling the trip to Sacramento an invasion. Now this is absolutely absurd because anyone with any senses would know that if a group of black people intended to invade the state capitol, they would not do so at high noon with all the press there and attempt to make this a public act. This is not a military act, this is a political statement. And it has been completely turned around. Now, when Huey Newton was shot and arrested in October, when Bobby Seale's house was surrounded and he was Ill illegally arrested and thrown in jail and charged with a conspiracy to commit murder, he and his wife, when and was shot and Bobby Hutton murdered and the latest raid on the Black Panther Party, and all the coverage that the press has given, they have referred back to the Black Panthers as a group that invaded the state legislature last May, led an armed group to the state legislature. What's happened, we see that there's a, a intense fascination on the part of the white press with guns, that 
these guns that the Black Panthers carry have become the focus of all the press and have generated a, quite a bit of fear, whereas the guns of the police that occupy our community that are used to murder and intimidate and brutalize black people day in and day out are not even a matter for concern. And this is the only the first purpose for carrying the guns publicly, to bring attention to the fact that it is the police with their guns who are committing genocide against black people. But instead, the press goes completely haywire and talks about how horrible it is that these Panthers run around with guns, when in fact, the horrible thing is the police who misuse their guns. The Panthers' use of guns has always been defensive and want to prevent violence and to gain the respect of the police in order to be able to protect themselves and have the right to stand up and say something about how the police are acting without being thrown in jail. But whereas they are tremendously horrified by the guns of the Panthers, they do not seem to find anything unusual about the guns of the police, which have been used in tremendous amount of unnecessary and racist violence. While we're on the subject of <clears throat> words in print, which is essentially what the press is, do you agree with me? Um, I, having just, just read uh, Eldridge's book, Soul on Ice, and, and coming away feeling, you know, that it was a very, very important thing to read now, uh, do you feel that his book is going to help the Panthers get their message across to white America? Well, I think Soul on Ice is, at this point, the most significant book available. I think that all white people in particular and black people in general should read Soul on Ice because this is a book that allows the people as individuals relating to a black prisoner as an individual to break through the lies and constructs of the power structure, to break through racism, to relate to a black man as a very warm, intelligent, fascinating, and compassionate human being who is not a threat, but in fact a very beautiful and optimistic writer. I think that the attraction and the fascination that people have with Soul on Ice is one of the most profound attitudes that can be used nationwide to change the structure that we're living in. I've noticed all kinds of people from all walks of life white, black, and otherwise, having a tremendous response to Soul and Ice. For example, one lady who was working in the city attorney's office in San Francisco after reading Soul and Ice felt compelled to quit and seek employment elsewhere. One of the radio announcers in the Bay Area announced on the radio that after reading Soul and Ice, this is the thing that finally turned him around to see what country. I think it's through the vehicle of literature and not through political speeches which frighten many people that has enabled a lot of people to understand what is happening, why it's happening, has given them a very deep perspective onto the attitudes and the problems that black people face and that allows them to approach the situation with some degree 
of understanding and sympathy instead of fear, hatred, and racism. And I think the fact that uh, Soul and Ice is now a bestseller, it's in the third printing, although it's only been released for about three months, is a marvelous indication of the fact that this book of essays and letters will have some impact on the political situation that we're trying to deal with. I think you asked me something about would that get the message of the Black Panther Party across. I think it will make people much more receptive to what the Black Panther Party has to say, but I think that soul and life cannot be limited to any extent by the political desires and aims of the Black Panther Party. It's a far broader human document, and I think it will probably enable people, black and white, to relate to each other on a human level. Um, I'll interject at this point a personal note about the book. I'm not only white, I'm originally from the South, and I lived there most of my young life. And I found reading the book to be a very, very moving experience, simply because I had never before, from, from any source, been able to look at uh, the white man from the black man's point of view, as I managed to do through the eyes of Eldridge Cleaver. And dealt with, uh, well, primarily, I think, uh, in, in the whole question of the sex ethic, which, which is part of the, the cultural myth that, you know, that we've grown up with in this country. I found myself profoundly moved by the fact that, uh, that he had his finger where it was. And, uh, well, could I ask you a question? Did that change your political perspective to any extent? Uh, it, it changed. It, it deepened it. I, I think that you answered that yourself. I, I didn't change it because I was already very interested in the Panthers and, and also in, in the plight of the black people in this country and have been for some time. But it gave it an added dimension, an added depth, something you know that I could sort of fall back on and made me feel it more. I think also the very fact that this book, Soul and Ice, was written in the penitentiary, that it had to be smuggled out of the penitentiary against the wishes of the people who run the prison system in the state of California, and that as a result of his political activities proceeding from the philosophy outlined in Soul and Ice, that Eldridge Cleaver is now again in the penitentiary, I think that this will give people a tremendous insight on the type of system that black people are up against that when Soul on Ice is written by a prisoner and this very same prisoner is thrown back into this prison, that people can see that there's something profoundly out of order with the prison system and therefore with the entire society of which it is the most foul part. I also hope and believe that the widespread reading of this book will be the vehicle through which it would be possible to get Eldridge Cleaver outside of the prison once more back into this insane, horrible world where his vision and his humanity and his understanding and his political direction is so desperately needed. I think it will take just public demand, a tremendous, massive public demand to get him out, and I think Saul and Ice will be very instrumental in instigating this demand. Uh, would you tell us 
something about what's been happening as far as Eldridge's case is concerned, the grand jury and so on, how, what you've been dealing with in terms of trying to get him back out? Well, the first thing we've been dealing with is a massive move on the part of the Oakland Police Department to liquidate the leadership of the Black Panther Party, which initiated with the attempted assassination of Huey Newton on October 28th. At this point, Eldridge Cleaver who had been commanded, ordered by the California Delta Society to stay politically inactive, to make no speeches, to not appear on television, to publish nothing of any political content, overruled all of these orders and began to build at a tremendous pace a defense campaign for Huey Newton. This brought him smack into the public eye. He had to make many speeches, write many articles, attend many meetings, and become deeply involved in the activities of the Black Panther Party and also the Peace and Freedom Party. This is when it became very clear that he was up against not only the adult authorities, political opposition, and the Oakland Police Department's political opposition, but the national political opposition directed toward the black liberation struggle and its leaders. Regardless, as he stated himself, he felt that securing Huey Newton's freedom was far more he felt out of San Quentin, so he took no caution whatsoever and moved as hard and as fast as he could politically to build a massive support campaign, which I think all of us have seen the fruits of. On March 16th, at the Peace and Freedom Party founding convention, he delivered a position paper titled National uh, Revolution in the White Mother Country and National Liberation in the Black Colony, in which he outlined a very revolutionary and clear perspective that he had developed over a period of time towards the dual movements going on in this country, the black liberation struggle and the white peace movement directed toward a revolutionary change in the power structures of the white country in which he proposed a mechanism of dealing with this change. He said that we needed a type of organization that could deal both with the political in the white society and in the black society simultaneously. He also proposed the idea of a black plebiscite in which black people would vote to determine what status they wanted in the United States, whether that of a sovereign nation or that of citizens of this country, and also call for UN observers to be stationed in the black ghettos to observe the police brutality. It's at this point, at that public statement of this particular political objective, that I feel that he was zeroed in by the power structure, I mean, I might as well come out and say it, by the CIA. For it was after Malcolm X had made a move to take our problems to the UN that he was shortly assassinated. It was after Martin Luther King, uh, very interested in activities with poor whites and with the Mexican American Mexican American community, and had also blamed the U.S. Congress for the instigating the riots in the black communities throughout this country. That he was quickly assassinated. And it was after Eldridge had developed 
a very powerful coalition between the Black Panther Party and the Peace and Freedom Party and the Mexican-American community and moved towards a U.N. solution that there was an attempt made to assassinate him. This attempt was directed primarily on the local level against the defense campaign that this coalition had waged for Huey Newton, but nationally it was directed towards removing this type of national leadership that had proposed a workable solution to our problems in a non-racist and revolutionary manner. The resulting activities of the police and the courts indicate that following this unsuccessful attempt to assassinate Eldridge on April 6th, that the entire weight of this case of uh, attempted murder and assault on a police officer with a deadly weapon has been thrown on him, whereas the other six of the seven Panthers arrested in this case were charged with two counts of assault on a police officer with a deadly weapon and two counts of attempted murder. Eldridge has been charged with three counts of assault on a police officer with a deadly weapon and three counts of attempted murder, which would, if convicted and sentenced, would just result in life imprisonment. His parole was immediately revoked, giving him three years in the penitentiary right away without any hearing or filing of criminal charges or even filing of uh, parole violation charges. He was given this overnight, immediately upon being arrested. The testimony that the police attempted to falsify from other members of the Black Panther Party, forcing them at gunpoint and under extreme duress and going through all kinds of lies and intimidations and illegal practices, denying them counsel and so forth, the effort was to force all the Panthers to throw the weight of this particular activity on Eldridge because it's clear that uh, this is the one that they're most interested in immobilizing. I love that particular question. Uh, have you had to talk to the people who were intimidated by the police, or are they, have they been unavailable? I've heard this comment raised several times, and I, and I wonder uh, if, if the, you could give us some information that would sort of uh, back it up further. No, I haven't had a chance to talk to them because they're prisoners in the Alameda County Court. But our attorneys have gotten sworn affidavits from every one of them to this effect that have been filed in the federal suit against Oakland in our injunction. It's very interesting that in the grand jury testimony that the statements that the police got, which were revoked by these affidavits, were introduced as evidence, and the police were forced to present these statements, whereas the individuals who supposedly signed these statements were not available to testify, which indicates the use to which they wanted to put this information. Have you seen Eldridge recently, and if so, how is he, and how are you, by the way? The last time I saw Eldridge was Saturday morning, as every time I've seen him, he was in very tremendously high spirits, which is a source of continuing and profound amazement to me and everyone else that visits him. 
that uh, Eldridge is not daunted at all. He's very anxious to get out of the penitentiary. However, if he is not gotten out immediately, there are many organizational political activities that he can engage in while in the penitentiary. One of the first things that he has initiated now is a move to establish a legal fund inside the penitentiary to hire a group of lawyers at the Peace and Freedom Party and the Black Panthers to take the legal cases of many inmates in the prison system against the uh, Department of Corrections to, a, to wage a full-scale assault on all their various arbitrary and unnecessary and brutal intimidations and denial of freedoms of their inmates in terms of the way he's being treated. It's absolutely atrocious. When he was taken from the burning house to Highland Hospital, immediately being thrown in the paddy wagon, the Oakland police began to kick and beat and push him around. Although he was practically blinded from the tear gas and his body was covered with burns all over because he came out of the house stark naked. When he was taken to the hospital to the emergency room, the police were so anxious to beat him and, and uh, force him to give them a statement that they practically got into fights with the nurses' aides that were trying to wipe the, wash the tear gas out of his hair and out of his face. When it was time when his lawyer came to the hospital to see him, they immediately sent him away with a ruse and told him that they could, he could catch up with Eldridge at the Oakland City Jail. When they took Eldridge out to put him in the ambulance, although he was in a wheelchair and he couldn't walk and he could hardly see, they, the authorities asked him would he please walk to the ambulance so that the people outside, the crowd of people who had gathered, would not think he was too badly hurt which he refused to do. When they took him to the Oakland City Jail to book him, they, he was forced to lie down on the floor while he was booked, then replaced in the ambulance and taken to San Quentin in the middle of the night, at which point he was put in the hospital, but he was also, they also sent in him and demand a statement about his activities that night and he continued to demand to see his lawyer. All this time now, since he left the emergency room, he had not yet had a chance to talk to his lawyer, which is a deliberate move on the part of the police. That morning, the lawyer called San Quentin to arrange to see Eldridge, and he was told that they couldn't tell him where Eldridge was for security reasons, but at 10 o'clock, they would call him and inform him where they had taken him. At that point, we found out that he was in the state medical facility at Vacaville, California, at which point, Attorney Hoffman and I got on the road to go to Vacaville to see him. When we arrived there, Eldridge, who had, we had been told was sent to Vacaville for medical treatment, was in the hole at Vacaville in a room where there was absolutely no ventilation, and he couldn't call for help if he needed it. We arranged to have him put back into the hospital. After being put in the hospital, he was kept under maximum security to an extent greater than any other prison prisoner at Vacaville. He was not allowed go in and out for meals, for exercise, for anything. The only time he was allowed out was when any members of his family, such as myself or his sister or his attorney, came to visit him. And even then, they attempted to deny and interfere with that privilege, making me wait an hour to half an hour to an hour before 
I could see Eldridge with the excuse that they had to find him. Now, they, they were, it was easier for them to find Eldridge Cleaver than any other prisoner in that penitentiary because they had him in one spot. However, I was forced to wait. His attorney was intimidated and forced to, they, every time he'd go up there, they try and force him to leave at 3.30 at the end of regular visiting hours, acting as if the counseling with an attorney was some sort of privilege that they allowed instead of, of all people accused of a crime. They have denied Eldridge the access to his typewriter, access to the books that I sent him, such as a dictionary and a few books on black history. They have returned manu uh, articles, material mailed to him by Ramparts Magazine, and have refused to allow his publishers, McGraw-Hill, to receive manuscripts from him. Dr. Shapiro of the Medical Committee of Human Rights attempted to send a couple of private physicians in to see Eldridge to check his leg and to check on his eyes that had been very seriously burned by this nerve gas that was poured into this house who were denied permission to come in. I mean, there's been every attempt possible made to interfere and eliminate contact with the outside world that's very, very dangerous and has to be ended for Eldridge's safety because murders in the penitentiary are not unlikely. Uh, when you've spoken to Eldridge, does, does he seem uh, like he's getting enough food or and enough enough medical attention, or, or does, there, does there seem to be a real problem in that, in that area, aside from the freedoms that he's not been granted? Yes, he told me that the authorities there seem to do everything they possibly can to harass him as if they're trying to provoke him, such as leaving his food outside to get cold and not letting him see his mail. Just any little thing they can do to annoy, harass him, they'll do. Although he hasn't complained too much about this since there's so many other things happening, it is a very serious problem. Do you uh, feel personally that if he hadn't been wounded and had tried to get up and run when the police uh, apparently told uh, Bobby and he to get up and run today? I feel that if Eldridge had not walked out of that burning house stark naked that he would have been murdered right there. He would have been brutally assassinated. He feels this is so, and I feel that that's the only reason that he wasn't killed, that he came out and it was such a shock to the policemen to see a stark naked man that they were startled and didn't shoot him. Maybe maybe you sh uh, could tell us just briefly what happened uh, the night that, that he was shot. Uh, do you, you know, like what, what went on? They came out of the house apparently and uh, were, were on the ground, is, is that right? And then they were told eventually to get up and go to a car. Well, it's still not too clear, and but essentially what happened was a an advanced group of policemen were following a group of panthers and attacked them or threatened them in some kind of way and the panthers after being vamped on by a whole mass of police cars and policemen scattered in many directions some of them going to the basement of this house on 28th Street. Now, the policeman, I feel, knew who was in the house because of all the Panthers in the neighborhood, 
they concentrated their fire on this particular house, which my husband and Bobby Hutton were inside for almost two hours. This house was bombarded with machine guns and all kinds of high-powered rifles and handguns. The bullets went from the front all the way to the back of the house. They poured tear gas, which was not a normal type nerve gas because to this day, and burning from this gas uh, almost three weeks after they threw it in the house. They threw so much tear gas in this house that at 6 o'clock the next day, it was impossible to walk through there without uh, coughing and having your eyes burning. In fact, a week later, the tear gas was still in the house. And after not getting anyone to come out, they set the house on fire. And at this point, Eldridge called to say that he would come out. He, at the point that the police ceased fire, the policemen rushed up to the basement of the house where they were captured and they accompanied Eldridge and Bobby Hutton out of the house. They were there at the door. They were there in the front. They were all around. They had the house completely surrounded. Now, the shots that were fired into Bobby Hutton, I found out recently, fired, there were five shots and 19 wounds. Three of these shots came from the back, one from the side and one from the front. It means it was an outright brutal murder. Eldridge was wounded and he couldn't walk. And I know they asked him to get up and run, but he couldn't move. I think the very fact that it was clear that he was wounded, it was clear that he was naked, and there were people standing around at that time that prevented them from murdering him. I also know that Warren Wells, who was lying on the ground in the vicinity of the house wounded, told me that one of the police officers, when they found out that he wasn't dead, that he was only wounded, asked the lieutenant, can I kill him? Can I kill him? Can I kill him? We could say he was wounded in the gun battle. Right then and there, wanted to murder him. If the police had had their way, all of the Panthers, they Okay. Um, I, I have one last question, and that is, how are you and Bobby holding out in terms of in terms of keeping the organization going? I I overheard you say a, uh, on the way up on the bus a few hours ago that you'd been told to stay in bed for two days and weren't allowed to do anything, and uh, apparently you're somewhat refreshed over what you probably have been recently. How do you feel now, and how does Bobby feel? Well, I feel that we are in a position. Well, I should say it like this, that in the letter Eldridge wrote me, in the first letter he wrote from the penitentiary, said that regardless of what happened, our people are coming into their own day. We're moving for power, and we're going to win, and we know that. The only feeling that's negative is that we have so little time, there's so much work to be done. We need the help and the support that we can get. I don't... I mean, it's been a very tremendous overwhelming loss to us of not having the political direction and coordination and just power of Eldridge Cleaver to uh, help us along this course. But I think that in the Oakland community, the Oakland Bay Area community, black community in general, and in the party in particular, there has been a greater sense of cohesiveness since this latest assault that we have 
gotten, we have become closer together, uh, we feel stronger and even more intensely determined to do what we were doing because we know that if the federal government, from the federal government to the local police authorities, there is a calculated and systematic move to destroy the Black Panther Party and our political activities is the best thing that has to be done. And we will continue this. There's nothing that can stop us. We're getting an immense amount of support all over the community. I think, as Eldridge said, that it's become clear that 1968 is the year of the Panther. Thank you very much. And uh, that was a rare archival audio file uh, featuring an interview with uh, Catherine Cleaver, uh, as well as uh, Bobby Seal uh, from May 2nd of uh, 1968, uh, their trip to Sacramento, California, just one year after uh, the May 2nd, 1967 protest, armed protest by the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense at the uh, California State Capitol. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more of the Pan-African Journal, this special worldwide radio broadcast for Sunday, October 16th, uh, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in uh, downtown Detroit. Never liked nobody that's been mean to me. I've got a heart full of stone, and I hate the misery. The new came along into my life, destroying me more, mounting up the toil and strife. But I'm a fool. Oh, fuck. 
Curtis Mayfield and the Impressions uh, out of Chicago, Illinois, uh, with the track entitled I'm a Fool for You. And our final segment uh, deals uh, with the Black Panther Party as well. We're commemorating the 56th anniversary of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. And uh, this segment uh, features excerpts uh, from an address uh, delivered by Eldridge Cleaver at uh, Sachs in Syracuse, uh, New York, uh, in 1968 uh, when he ran uh, for president on the Peace and Freedom Party ticket. And, uh, of course, uh, after uh, this period, uh, Cleaver uh, went underground and later uh, arrived in Cuba as well as Algeria and other countries throughout the revolutionary socialist world. Uh, this uh, speech uh, features uh, some of his ideas uh, and the ideas of the Black Panther Party uh, surrounding uh, electoral politics and mass struggle and self-determination for African-Americans. Let's listen in. I don't think our next speaker needs much introduction. But just for those of you who have a pencil and want to write it down, he's the Minister of Information of the Black Panther Party, presidential candidate, the New York Peace and Freedom Party, member of the State Steering Committee of the California Peace and Freedom Party, author of the book Soul on Ice, and now speaker before this rally, Eldridge Cleaver. Have to talk about. I was getting uptight when he started talking, you know. I think I must talk in my sleep. See? Well, we're still not free. I don't see any of the policemen in here. I know they must be here somewhere. I know my parole officer has one of his friends in here somewhere. <laughs> so I'm going to start off uh, by saying that I abhor violence. <laughs> and that I'm in favor of gun control. <laughs> my parole officer told me when he... Uh, I went down to talk to him about whether or not I could travel anymore or again. And he said, uh, he said, you can do all of that. If there's one point that you're going to have to be very careful about. And you cannot make any statements that are inflammatory and that can be construed as advocating violence. <laughs> so I told him that uh, I abhor violence. <laughs> and that I would always say something about that. So if any pig is here who intends to inform that other pig <laughs> calls himself my parole officer, tell him that I said, 
He's a pig. Just tell him that. <laughs> See, it's getting very difficult these days to, uh, to deal with this whole revolutionary situation. Not only do they already have more laws on the books than they really need, but they're continually passing other laws. Does anybody know what the situation is? Do you know what we can do and what we can't do? What we can say and what we can't say? I don't know that anymore. And I don't have enough time to go and research all the laws so that I'm in the position that the only thing I can say about that is fuck it. See? Fuck that. Because it seems to me that there's some type of game going on if the people in a country don't know what the law is and that the pigs of the power structure are the only ones who know what's going on. And sometimes I wonder if they know what they're doing. I don't think that they do. I don't think that they really understand what they're doing. I think that they're so hung up on maintaining their positions, maintaining the power of the Democratic Pig Party, the Republican Pig Party, they're so hung up on that that all that they can see when they look around is what's the next best move to make for the party. They put the interests of the party above the welfare of the people. So checking that situation out and coming to that conclusion, we take the position that the only way that the people can deal with this is to take it in the streets. The legislatures, the Congress, and even the courts of this country have become non-functional for the people. The way that things have been going in this country, the world is on the brink. But it's been on the brink. Some of you, I can see they're, what, 18, 19, 20 years old? I mean, you've lived in this climate all your life. You don't even talk about the bomb anymore. People have gotten tired of talking about the hydrogen bombs that are hanging over the head of the world. There's no point in talking about it anymore. We protested and demonstrated We've appealed. There are tons and tons of material that have been written to explain why certain things should be done. Why we should get rid of the bombs, why we should stop oppressing people, why we should do a whole lot of things. And as the gentleman here was saying, that one of the most potent political phenomena in the country today is the growth of the political forces embodied in that little simple pig from Alabama, Georgie Boy Wallace. This is, this is a reality. This is a reality. And I think that the reason that Wallace is able to go around and to gain people to support his banner is because the people in this country are confused. I believe that the basic cause of all the shit that's going on in this country 
the basic reason that it's so difficult to really do something about it is because the people are confused. They are fed lies from the highest level. You heard about the credibility gap. I mean, the Democrats started talking about the credibility gap. They accused their standard bearer, the president of this country, as being unreliable when it comes to telling the people what's going on. That when his cabinet ministers, his cabinet officers issue out statements, we are told that you can't really believe what those statements say. And we know how the mass media functions. That because there are a lot of people in this audience who have been active in various incidents, demonstrations, what have you, that they've had occasion to read about that in the newspapers and to watch it on television, hear it on the radio. And it seems as though that they're reading about or observing on the TV something that happened someplace else. <laughs> See? That what's being reported, in fact, had nothing to do with what really went on. So there's no wonder that people who have been deluged with this type of uh, misinformation for all of their lives and really for all of their history, there's no wonder that they don't know what's going on and that when some articulate pig comes along and tells them that the only way to solve this problem is to lynch all the niggers, that because he's been a judge, because he's been the governor, because he's been anointed by some crazy preacher or some priest, because he can go to the White House, because he's in the White House, because of all of these things, I mean, there's a limit, there's a limit to how people can, you know, see through all of this. You don't have time to analyze all this, and there's a tendency to throw up both hands and just go along with the situation. Well, information is the raw material for new ideas. If we get misinformation, we're going to get some brand new funny ideas. And that's the basic problem, that we have to create images, machinery. We have to develop people who, when they talk or when they write, people can have some trust in what they say. And I don't think that it's too hard to have the attitude that George Washington was said to have had about that cherry tree. Because we're dealing with something that's much more fundamental than a goddamn cherry tree. <laughs> we're, dealing, we're dealing with the continued existence of people on the face of this planet Earth because the lies that have led to more lies to cover up the other lies have grown so high that many people don't even know that they're lying when they run down those lines. So that we say that it's time to begin anew, that it's time to stop going along with rhetoric and bullshit that you cannot endorse. And this is very fundamental in terms of the coalition that the Black Panther Party has made with the Peace and Freedom Party. And I get to shoot a shot at her because she said that before Huey Newton was arrested, there was no cause for communication between blacks and whites. 
Black Panther Party and the Peace and Freedom Party. I think a correct statement of that is that we did not recognize that there was a need for that. And it was only when they had Huey on death row in Alameda County, where they had indicted him for first-degree murder, and where we knew that they wanted to put him in the gas chamber, that we had to make a retreat. We had to go inside of closed doors and say, how are we going to deal with this? Because if there was one thing that we knew, we knew that we would not be able to observe the process of those pigs, those murderous pigs of Oakland, whom we knew out on the streets, who we know how they are, that we could not allow them to get away with putting Huey Newton in the gas chamber. So how are we going to deal with this? It involved examining where we are, where we were, where we wanted to go, where we were willing to go, with whom were we willing to work, and we had to look at that in terms of the program of the party, the ideology of the party. And there was nothing there that precluded a working alliance, a coalition with white people. And we began to understand that with the assumption of the chairmanship of SNCC by Brother Stokely Carmichael, a very crucial turning point in the history of the black liberation struggle had been reached. That black people were moving to assume control of black organizations. The rhetoric that was developed out of this necessity, the rhetoric to justify because that had to be explained. There were a lot of white people who were in control of some black organizations, they were in control of certain policy-making positions in black organizations, so that uh, something had to be said to justify that, because a lot of them didn't understand, well, I believe in uh, brotherhood, I believe in integration, I've been out there on the picket lines, I've sacrificed for all these years, and now you're going to kick me out. A lot of people thought that that was chicken shit. A lot of people thought that it was like fundamentally wrong. But Stokely said very clearly, and we have to remind him of this once in a while, that um, white, people, white people should go and organize in the white community, black people organize in the black community, and when the white people develop something that's functional, then we can have a coalition with them a coalition, a specific coalition for specific purposes. So we had read uh, Stokely's speeches, we had heard him speak, we had read his book, and so we quote that to him sometimes, and we use that in explaining and justifying the way that we were moving. You speak of this country, I say Babylon, Babylon, and it's so apt because falling. It's falling. It's sinking. We're sinking. We're sinking with it. It's carrying us down by a dead weight, by lies, by hypocrisy, and by the weight of the blood of the peoples of the world, waging a war in your name. 
even trying to wage this war in my name. This is a democratic war participated in by the peace-loving American people. We are a people who support the underdog. And it's just recently that we've been able to understand that America is the dog that's keeping that other little dog down. So we say that we recognize that freedom is indivisible, that because it was necessary for them to impose a curfew in Berkeley, that the white people there are involved, we are involved, everybody in this country is involved, and as I heard her say one day, she attributed it as a quote to someone, I don't remember, that if you are not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And so we say we would rather have more people, and we would rather be a part of the solution and not any part of the problem. So I'm thumping for the coalition. I'm thumping for a widening of the coalition. I'm thumping for people to support the petition campaign of the Peace and Freedom Party. And I'm thumping for people to have a little self-respect because that's all it's about. That's all human dignity is about. It's about individuals. It's about all of us, but it's also about one's own self-respect. That we have got to have too much self-respect to allow racist pigs in the power structure to shit on the rest of humanity in our name. That we've got to have enough self-respect that we will be willing to lay down our lives and to pick up the gun. And I know this is not really uh, a speech that I should be making to uh, the oppressor country radicals because they're always telling me that uh, I'm ready for that, but uh, my people aren't ready yet. Well, I tell them, ready or not, it's here. It's here already. It's not coming, it's here. It's here, and we have to make the decision of whether or not we're going to go willingly, whether or not we're going to allow this country to just go openly into fascism, whether or not we're going to allow the black community to be turned overtly into a concentration camp. But the black community is saying that uh, we don't know what they're going to do. And we don't know if we can believe them when they say that they're going to take care of business. So we're going to have to move in such a way, and we're going to have to create such conditions that we can ensure that they're going to be involved and that there won't be no way out. So 
But that's the other side of the coin of the coalition. Because you have endorsed madmen, madmen in a time that demands madmen, which means you've done the right thing. But you better know what you've done because we do have a little time. They haven't programmed all of the people yet. It takes them a little time to rally the American public to a new stratagem. It takes a little time. They issue their report, make a confession, and they continue to go through these changes. And if it was left like that, they would have the American people programmed to accept the genocide of black people in this country. So we're taking advantage of that time. And we're going to organize the Black Panther Party all the way across this country. We're going to develop the coalition all the way across this country. We are going to build the Peace and Freedom Party and the Black Panther Party here in Syracuse. And if the chief of police and the mayor here don't like it, they can go to hell or wait to be sent there. <laughs> That's what it's all about. <laughs> Huey P. Newton says that the spirit of the people is greater than the man's technology. And we believe that people are still people. They've just been put off into different bags. And that it is possible to break out of all of those bags. It is possible to liberate the people of America and to build a new world. They like to make us think that nothing can be done that this is a gloomy situation. Nothing can be done trusting your president. They like for us to believe that the war in Vietnam cannot be stopped, that it's complicated, that we've got to negotiate, that the North Vietnamese won't talk sense. <laughs> but that war could be stopped right now. If that pig who sits in my seat in the White House. He has nothing to do but pick up one of those telephones and say, say, Brother Pig in the Pentagon. <laughs> Send out this order. Draw the pigs from the Vietnamese community and let the Vietnamese people reconstruct the damage that we have done. That's all that motherfucker's got to say. That's all he's got to say, and he's a lying punk when he says anything else. That's right. He's lying. Listen. That old evil, decrepit New Yorker, Averill Railroad Harriman, <laughs> he, 
He's a lying pig when he comes out of that place where they're negotiating every day and say, well, they just won't talk right. <laughs> he's lying. He's lying. He's lying with a straight face. He's lying looking the camera straight in the face. He could look you in the eyes and lie. He could look his mama in the eye and lie. But every time I hear him talk, I hear him say, oink. That's all I hear. I hear him say, oink. Every time he opens his mouth, he says, oink. And I could not accept any lie that is so phonetically out of harmony with my ear. <laughs> that the pigs of the power structure are oinking to the people. And we say that it has to stop, that we're going to put an end to it, and that if the pigs don't straighten up their hands, in which they probably won't, there has to be some barbecue. There has to be some barbecue. Because it's either or. Either you are going to withdraw your oppressive forces from the black community, or we're going to start shooting. Period. Because the oppressor has no right, which the oppressed is bound to respect. He's out of order from the beginning. There ain't nothing for him to say. There's nothing to talk about. There ain't no negotiating to be done. Just get your boot off my neck, or I'm gonna try to snatch your leg off. And don't tell me how to do it. Don't give me no suggestions about how to snatch your leg off, because I know you're lying, because you want your leg. Don't tell me to do it within the framework of the American tradition because it is precisely the American tradition that I want to smash. That's right. And don't tell me because I say take your foot off my neck that I'm a racist because you racist motherfucker, you're the one that's killing me. And don't tell me not to say motherfucker. Because you motherfucking fools, you dig it? Dig it, dig it. I recognize that people have those responses and reactions because they love Jesus. <laughs> Or because they say that uh, people who use profanity have a very short vocabulary. Well, whatever motherfucker is a very functional term in the black community. You know that because the family structure of black people in this country has been like tampered with and has always been tampered with, but somehow the women 
ended up like the center of the family. So that they call that matriarchy, right? So that a lot of respect for the mother has been developed. So that the most repulsive thing that could be done is for a person to be involved in incestuous relationships with his mother. So that when you say, you are a low-down, dirty motherfucker, he's just saying, man, you, you're doing the worst thing that a human being can do. And within the context of political situation, the American people are some dirty motherfuckers. <laughs> some dirty motherfuckers, see? That's what they are. Because they sit around and say that the majority of the people don't endorse that genocide, don't endorse that evil, and that just a minority does that? Where is that majority? Where is it at? It's not in this room. It's not down there supporting that muddle-headed Humphrey, meathead Humphrey, simple motherfucker Humphrey. <laughs> it's not out there supporting motherfucker McCarthy. It's not out there. It's not out there supporting that dirty motherfucker Richard Nixon. <laughs> And it's not supporting that rich, dirty motherfucker in Rockefeller. It's not out there. It's out there confused, not knowing who to support because of some cold shit on the set today. What do you think that your white brothers are thinking when they look at you and say, these people are going crazy. Here they are, they, they are endorsed this nigger, this convict. Crazy Black Panther? Yeah, America's gone crazy. Let Wallace have it. Did? But everything has been turned inside out. And what we have to do is get across to the people that we have been the victims of a peekaboo game and that things have been switched around and they're no longer where we were told they were supposed to be. That we were told that power lies with the people, that this was a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. And we have to get across that it is a fact, it is already a fact, that this filthy government is government of the pigs, for the pigs, and by the pigs. That's what it is. And the people are in pain. The people are confused. The people are full of fear. And they don't know what to do about it. And so we have to say, let's try this. Let's try to open up a new chapter. Let's close the door of the the cover, let's close the book, let's close that chapter on everything else. 
Let's close the book on American history, written by pigs, authorized by pigs, implemented by pigs. Let's seal that book. Let's start another book that begins. Let the first chapter be about the coalition between the Peace and Freedom Party and the Black Panther Party. Let's start a book there. Welcome back. And uh, that was uh, an address uh, delivered by Minister of Information of the Black Panther Party, Eldridge Cleaver, on uh, July 28, 1968, at the University of Syracuse, and uh, that was a commemoration of the 56th anniversary of uh, the founding of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, and that's going to conclude our program uh, for today. If you'd like to have access to this program, just go to the Pan-African Radio Network, and that's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. If you'd like to read the Pan-African Newswire, you can go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. And uh, we're going to close out uh, with the music of uh, John Coltrane, the recordings from 1958 entitled Dial Africa. This is Abayomi Azikawe signing off, and have a beautiful week.